When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Double Take, a brand new podcast from The Independent. I'm your host, Kirsty Major. Each week, we'll bring in one of our columnists to the studio to read one of their most popular comment pieces. Then, we'll catch up with them to ask what happens after we click to publish. Do they still hold the same views now, or did your response make them think again? Today, we're joined by political commentator of the year and satirist Matthew Norman. Last week, he explained why the Russia affair is the beginning of the end for Trump in his piece, Republican worms will turn as soon as Trump's ratings dive. Let's hear him again. When historians settle down to analyse Donald Trump's presidency, will they fix on 10th to 11th of May as the beginning of the end? Reflecting on this brief yet frantic passage of time, it's hard to compute that even the grand master of self-inflicted disaster can press so much idiocy, lunacy and mayhem into barely 24 hours. It isn't exactly that you couldn't make it up, Whatever Richard Littlejohn's thinking, you obviously could. If Trump's political career teaches nothing else, it's that you can make anything up. But why would you bother making this up when every studio executive would bin the proposal halfway through page one for being too crude and silly for the broadest satirical comedy? A brief recap might be handy for those like me left breathless and bamboozled by the pace of events. When on the 10th of May, Trump sacked FBI Director James Comey, the White House line was that this had nothing to do with his investigations into any Russian links. It was solely because veteran Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, eyeing up his retirement clock after a fortnight in the job, demanded Comey's refusal because he hadn't nailed Hillary Clinton for being careless with classified material. The following day, Trump torpedoed that hastily invented nonsense by admitting it was solely his decision, helpfully mentioning his vexation with this Russia thing in the same sentence. Also on 11th of May, sensitive as always to the optics, he hosted Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, and ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, the guy several Trump world stalwarts met secretly before the inauguration, in the Oval Office. With the American press excluded from the powwow, the only media outlet given access was TASS, the Putin house journal, which moonlights as Moscow's leading news agency. Until today, the episode's gold medal for surreal derangement belonged to Sean Spicer, Trump's adorably hapless press secretary, who briefed about Comey's firing while apparently hiding in the bushes. I say apparently because he disputed this, forcing the Washington Post to correct its story. Far from being in the bushes, it amended, Spicy had been among the bushes. Whether Trump was already in or among deep trouble on the Russia front, his situation dramatically worsened today. Unabashed by the pre- its prepositional debacle of last week, the Washington Post revealed that on the 11th of May, Trump t- treated the Russians, representatives of a hostile foreign power, to information about the alleged ISIS plot to detonate laptop bombs on aircraft, so highly classified that the United States hadn't shared it with its closest allies. Inevitably, Trump officials in attendance have issued the sort of non-denial denials 
that will satisfy such propaganda machines as Breitbart, but no one else. The claim that Trump prefaced his disclosure, probably treasonous from anyone but the commander-in-chief, with a babyish boast, is all too credible. I get great intel, he reportedly told the Russians. I have people brief me on great intel every day. Do you reckon Lavrov and Kislyak would have been sceptical about that claim, which is about half as startling as, I have a great plane, Air Force One, just the most tremendous 747, yet seemingly fearful that the Russians wouldn't believe that the United States president is privy to intelligence reports, Trump offered a juicy tidbit to slay their doubts. There are two viable explanations for this sequence of events. One is that Trump, mightily worried about the Russia thing, was laying the ground for the Jimmy Savile defence. Savile hid himself, or among plain sight, partly by lasciviously squeezing pubescence on top of the pops. If I really like young girls, the messaging went, would I be so stupid and reckless as to cuddle them on TV? Perhaps Trump thought that if he concertinaed the Comey sacking and the Russian meeting into a few hours, the blatancy would allow him to run that defence later. The other rationale is that he is stupider and more reckless than previously feared. I think we can guess which is the odds-on chance. But either way, his lucky streak is running out, to judge by the infuriation of senior Republicans. The White House has got to do something soon to bring itself under control and in order, says Bob Corker, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. It's got to happen. Yeah, good luck with that one, Bob. Political history may never have known a more nauseating bunch of invertebrates than today's Republicans. You can look to Caligula's Senate and similarly spineless apparatus in countless tyrannies since, but they had the excuse of wanting to avoid having themselves and their families satellite disemboweled or shot. However impressive this homage to Caligula, and making Betsy DeVos education secretary was a match at the very least for making a horse consul, Trump cannot execute Republican senators and representatives. These wretches have only their incomes and status to protect. Since they've proved that they will do anything in that cause, it's a gimme they will abandon Trump the moment they see him as a mortal danger to their re-election. The Republican resistance has been a trickle until now, but Corker's blunt outrage suggests it may be about to snowball. If and when Trump's approval ratings dive into the mid-30s to threaten their chances in the midterms of November 2018, these worms will turn. Suddenly, publicly, they will notice that the only garment standing between their emperor and total nakedness is a gold-brocaded straitjacket. That was Matthew Norman reading his column, Republican Worms Will Turn As Soon As Trump's Ratings Dive Over The Russia Affair. There'll be a link to the original piece on the site in the show notes. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Up next, we'll be talking to him about why he's living for the Trump drama and why the end of Trump may also be the end of the American media. Thank you for coming in to read the piece, Matthew. My pleasure, Kirsty. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. 
So you wrote the piece on Tuesday. Of on this Tuesday, week, and actually, and it's now Thursday. Actually, and, and, and inevitably, given given who we're writing about and talking about, it, huge amounts uh, developed since. And what I was saying at the end was that the, you know I thought the Republicans are about to turn is happening quicker than anyone could have expected because of the subsequent and even more sensational disclosure in the New York Times this time um, about alleging that Trump tapped up James Comey and kind of said, look, he's a great guy, Mike Flynn. Can you lay off him? It doesn't sound like it. If it is a joke, uh, it's not winning any um, awards at the Edinburgh Fringe this year, is it? And it's not only that, is it? There's also the appointment of a well, new... And then yeah. almost immediately, I mean, the, the, I mentioned in the piece Rod Rosenstein, or Rod Rosenstein, I don't know how he pronounces it, who is the Deputy Attorney General, and who is handling this because the actual Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, the allegedly wildly racist um, guy from Alabama, who's like a sort of parody of some 1950s Jim Crow horror, uh, he has had to recuse himself from the whole area because he has connections with the Russians. It's like one of those Russian dolls. Every time you open up someone, there's a little person inside <laughs> with the same. Anyway, so this guy Rosenstein, who was lashed, widely lashed, for um, apparently doing Trump's bidding by uh, when they were pretending that this was the reason that Trump sapped Comey because this guy Rosenstein, after two weeks in the job, had written a letter calling for him. Obviously, he was bullied into it. We can assume that. And equally, obviously, it appears he has responded, trying to regain his integrity by appointing the special prosecutor, Robert Mueller, um, former, also a former um, director of the FBI with a very, very strong reputation of being a straight and proper person um, who we may imagine is going to pick this thing to bits. Where it leads, we don't know. I mean, I've been thinking the last couple of days, it's all very well. I mean, we're all terrified of Trump. We all think he's mad and stupid and ignorant and, and all these things. But for people in the media, it would be a catastrophe if he went quickly. I mean, it would be, you know, people like me, what do you write about? You know, he's given us so many great moments. And for businesses, business models, I mean, you know, maybe not so much here, but certainly in the States, I mean, I mean the, the revival of, of the big newspapers and CNN, other um, news, uh, news resources, has been entirely because of Donald Trump. And, you know, I think generally after American presidential election, the, uh, the viewing figures to these networks collapse. This time they've gone soaring. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, as an old cynic and been in this business for a long time, if if it gets more urgent and if Trump seems more vulnerable, if some news organisations looking to their balance sheets start to lay off, because if they bring him down, you know, they'll live in history in glory, you know, it might save the planet for all we know, but they will do themselves enormous financial damage because... You know, they need this and they need it for eight years and not just another, you know, almost four. It reminds me of something that we spoke about um, when mm. Brexit happened. And I remember calling you on the phone. I think maybe it was just before Brexit happened. And you were saying, oh, God, obviously, as a citizen, this is going to be awful for the country. But, mm. you know, as a journalist, I'm just thinking, go on, like, let the yeah. animals out of the zoo. Well, like, I what know. could happen? See, I know there's a little bit of anarchist in lot of the anarchist in, in and, mis you know, mischievous imp in lots of us. The thing that's saving, might save America and the world, is, I suppose, part of the Constitution, the First Amendment, the, the guarantee of freedom of speech. But specifically what's saving it is, is, the, free, is the press. 
and the leakers within the White House, the people in the press who were, who were publicizing those leaks, because nothing else has the power to shift him. The only thing that, that, that has the power to constrain him is public opinion. You could also argue that the press made him in the same way that it made someone Absolutely. like Farage because, you know, you give people Absolutely. like that so much airtime because they are pure entertainment. Well, they are. And, and you know, I, it's not just as a journalist, you know, but as a, as a person, and, I, and I, I know it sounds flippant, and it is, I'm a flippant person, but that feeling the day after Wimbledon or, or the day after the World Cup or even the day after the, the World Snooker in Sheffield, and you wake up and think, what the hell am I going to do? You feel that void inside you. If Trump went every day with me, because when I wake up at half past five, six o'clock, whatever it is, without even thinking, it's like a reflex. I reach for the laptop and I go to the American websites to see what the man has done in the night, if anything. But um, at, first of all, you're absolutely right. Of course it's He's a creation of the media. You know, a, a really, a, a really great, brave media would have crushed this guy. You know, but the American media, newspapers, some newspapers, as well as particularly the networks, have this pompous, silly idea about equivocation, about balance. So if somebody says that that the Earth is flat and somebody says the Earth is round, they have to kind of give, say the Earth is flat as another opinion. You know, which it is. But then you know there are lots of other opinions, and they're also demented. So, so I think you're absolutely right about that. I think, I th and the media will um, miss him, and we will all miss him. Anyone who has got, and it, I, I think it is literally an addiction. I mean, it, there are when you read stuff like this, the brain produces psychochemicals, you know, dopamine, adrenaline, so, and it's like getting addicted to gambling. You need that fix, you know. And and there's no one of our sort of generations who, who when when you go to the to the computer and you you start um, going to websites. There's a bit of you that's kind of craving something awful just for the for the adrenaline rush, but when he goes, it is going to leave a lot of people going cold turkey. That's interesting when you think about his opinion ratings, though. So yeah. you know, like like you said in your piece, like the Republicans are going to have to turn on him, or like oh, his his ratings well, will have are. to dive, yeah, yeah, for Republicans to start to turn. Yeah, yeah. And you, I just remember when the um, the infamous you know vagina grab and tape came out. And everyone was like, this yes. is the end of Trump. Well, I can't believe he said this as a candidate. But it was so entertaining that it got so much coverage and people people just thought he was a bit maverick. And I, I wonder... Maverick, yeah, just a little bit maverick. <laughs> yes. um, I, I wonder if in, if in any way this is comparable. Will the American public just think, oh, he's just he's just not a president. This is well, the elite trying know, to bring him down. The thing is about, about, the, about what you so uh, elegantly and euphemistically call the vagina grabbing... <laughs> Nice to keep it medical. The thing about that was he wasn't, he isn't Teflon and he wasn't Teflon and that damaged him a lot. It cost him three or four or five points rating in the polls, you know? So it, 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 it you know, it did damage him. And, and if anyone had found that apparently, you know, this tape uh, allegedly of, of, of cuts of The Apprentice using the M word, that would have finished him or you know, it would have been worth another eight points. So he's not he's not completely um, impervious to, to the same rules as everyone else, but what he does have is something, a kind of instinctive genius for brazening things out. I mean, it's not an intellectual process, that's just what he is. He's a force of nature. Just going back to something you said earlier, about Trump's style, sort of, you know, mm. the shout of explosive, entertain him. I was just thinking maybe while that got him into power and that's been keeping yeah. the media interest, 
you know, in him. Does that sort of style start to work against you when you're going through a legal process? Because those explosions yeah. aren't very measured and anything you say now can probably be, or anything well, you tweet will be held against you. Well, you know, exactly. So how things know, exactly. are unfurling will be like... Uh, it's already happened. I mean, one of the, the primary reasons why the Muslim ban, as, as Sean Spicer kept telling us it wasn't, uh, was overturned by various federal judges is that he talked about a Muslim ban. He tweeted about it. He said, you know, he said he consulted, I think it was Rudy Giuliani, about how to present it in a legal way. I mean, you know, you're giving, you're giving your defence up before the case, you know. So, yes, of course. Now, if he starts tweeting about this investigation while it's, while it's taking place, it won't deepen the eventual hole, but it'll dig it much more quickly. So... It does seem that he is incapable and those around him are incapable of shackling him. You know, they try to confiscate his phone, but they can't do that. So, I mean, he's already said it's the biggest witch hunt, I think, in, in history, hasn't he, today? I don't know. Uh, there's I didn't a very see recent, that. there's a recent tweet. You've got to keep up. It's a I know. I need, thing. A, I need a Donald Trump alert on my phone. That's what you I don't do. You do, or some kind of electric shot whenever he says something crazy. Ah. Oh, what is it now? Um, so, we may assume, I think, fairly safely that he will. He will continue to give us his own running commentary as this process goes on. I, I have a hunch that maybe it's also already happened mm. and he's already given something away, which is um, obviously there was the letter which gave the official reason for Comey sacking. The one from Rosenstein? Yes. yes. And then he gave an well, exactly, interview. Exactly, as I said just... in the piece I read out for you. I mean, again, you know, everything what you read on, on the American um, online sites it's complete chaos there. I mean, we saw Sean Spicer in the bushes. That's what it's like. <laughs> Which might be my my favourite political moment of this year, and there's been quite a few. It's the best, but isn't it? It's just it was wonderful. it was the it was the editors. The editors note that they made the post exactly. not the correction, which was among but not in. He wasn't in the bushes. He was among, and there are pictures of him among the bushes. <laughs> so, and you think Sean Spicer? I mean, you know, you, you have to feel a bit sorry for him because. I mean, I know he's he's horrible, but what a job that is! So you, you know, you've you no idea, and so, suddenly someone can't, you can imagine it there. He's in his office trying to firefight on eight fronts, and someone runs in and says, "Spicy, we've got a situation in the Oval Office." He's like, oh, what's he done now? God! And then he's got like five, ten minutes, maybe half an hour to 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 create some ridiculous, transparent excuse for what Trump's just done. In this case. They had to get this guy Rosenstein to write the letter. And then they said, well, it wasn't the president. The president was only following the advice of the of the most senior law official overseeing this process. And everyone says, well, well you know, bollocks to that. What a lot of nonsense. But there is some plausible deniability. And the next day, the madman, the mad bull, goes on television with this guy Lester Holt, I think CBS, and says, no, nothing to do with Rosenstein. I was going to fire him anyway. <laughs> so how do you? You're the press secretary. What, I mean, what the hell are you supposed to do? Really? And, but why is the guy still there? I don't know why the guy's still there. I, the, there's talk about him maybe no longer having his job. Um, I mean, it's an impossible uh, job. Why would he want the why job? Why would he want it? You know, I suppose you get lots of adrenaline. I suppose you're going to get a tremendous you know, advance from some publisher for your, even if he went now. After whatever it is, 17, 18 weeks, you'd have a fantastic book to write. Anyway, so I think personally, I think my absolutely favourite moment, maybe of the last five years, uh, was is the vignette of Sean Spicer in the bushes or among the among bushes. Among the bushes. Briefing these, this pack that are like, they do look like ravening wolves of, uh, 
of White House correspondents about this. And, you know, I mean, he has to say something. He has to say what Trump wants him to say. So, I mean, you know, I know it's the Nuremberg defense only obeying orders, but you can't envy the guy that job, can you? Not at all. No. And that brings me on to my final question, yeah. which you, you just touched on, you know, on, on, on comedy and satire. Yeah. And it almost feels like it's, even though someone like um, M- Melissa McCarthy, McCarthy yeah. on SNL, I mean, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. Absolutely. Oh, brilliant. she's so good. But it's actually been really hard to satirize Trump. I mean, you do you do it fantastically, but he's almost beyond oh, the pale. That you, you can't you can't satirize him. Um, I don't think anyone, and you don't need to. You can't satire auto satire. Obviously, it, it's um, axiomatic impossibility. Um, not to say that. I mean, look at those late night hosts. You know, um, uh, Colbert, Stephen Colbert, and Seth Meyers. And Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, it's just, it's just heaven. I mean, it's almost too easy, isn't it? You think? You know, I wonder if they sometimes think, well, you know, we spent years slapping around the, the stand-up clubs and in the writers' room and everything, and we're 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 trained for more than this. Because basically, all you have to do with Trump is read it out what he said or tweeted, and then make a few snarky comments. But it, it's not a challenge for uh, anyone who tries to make a living out of being funny, because it is just hilarious. And it's hilarious with the added savour that it could be Armageddon. And so, you know, the world could literally laugh itself to death. Although, you know, this week that that prospect has receded, you know, with the likelihood, the growing likelihood that um, that the 45th president won't necessarily see out his term. Well, when this gets released next week... Maybe we'll see what what's happening. Well, but by well, then, if this was released in six hours, it'd be out of date. <laughs> Next week, it'll be like it'll be like Thucydides, uh, ancient history, and there'll be a whole new um, bucket load of madness to talk about. Well, thank you for coming on. It's been really nice I having really you. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Betsy. That's all for this week. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. It makes a big difference to new shows like ours if you do rate and review. So we really appreciate it. A big thanks to Helen Hoddenot for producing the show. Hannah Fenn is the editor of Independent Voices. I'm Kirsty Major. See you next week. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.